Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Hazan et HaOlam Kulo Betubo Berchem Bechesed Rachamim Uno Teyel Eloheinu Basaki Leolam Hazo Utubo Hazo Tami Lokasalanu Eaisalanu Mazon Leolam Vare Bahavur Shemo Hagadol and the ladies of black. All right. If you're in the back, or your name starts with Martin. You need to speak up so that the mic can uh, pick up the words of wisdom. Um, for those who weren't here this morning, that might be listening. Uh, next uh, Tuesday's class from of Torah will be at Joshua Spurlock's house, where we can all meet his little uh, his little son, and uh, who actually is really not very little. He's uh, Came out with his hair combed, and it's pretty impressive. He's really a handsome little guy. Um, so we'll be meeting there at 7:30, and the hope is that uh, when class is over at nine, uh, that uh, you know Joshua can drive the other guys home, and you can stay until midnight, and uh, we'll study the Torah together. Um, I don't know if you if you live over an hour away. Or maybe even a 40-minute ride. You know, maybe these Sprolocks will, you know, have cots. You know, so if you can spend the night, I don't know. You'll have to check that when he gets there. There it is. Yeah, with the garage. Maybe in the garage. You know, so bring your camping equipment. We'll we'll be doing that. Pretty high maintenance. We've got the circumcision on Wednesday. We'll see the same rabbi that's done so many of the young men in the community. So. Excited, and I'm excited for Joshua. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, this is his son's first Shabbat. That's astonishing when you consider that he will be raised as a man who keeps the Shabbat, uh, as his uh, as his grandfather has. And, uh, Actually, I can say all the way back to Aaron. So this is Aaron's. Maybe not youngest descendant, but close. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool indeed. So that's the deal. So uh, I think as of two weeks ago, Mr. Bartos started stepping in and uh, doing that uh, tete-a-tete with Mr. Spurlock, and uh, he's solo for the first time. Still do great. He's quite a guy, so... uh, it's a good model to follow that he left behind temporarily. Temporarily. That's right. He'll be back. <laughs> but this is a good time for them to just have together. That's good. And they're probably watching too. So more pressure. Well, they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, listening. Yeah. Well, as usual, we'll start with something for the kids. So I want to start with a question and then maybe a little lesson. So the first question, Micah. I'm curious. When you have a king and he is about to become the king. He has some rules that he has to follow. There's a couple of them, but can you tell me one of them that you remember from this portion? He cannot marry more than one woman. He can
not have too many wives. That's a great rule. Good place That's to start. Great rule. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, <laughs> Sophia. Do you remember any of the things that the king can't do or have? Have too much horses. Too so many horses. Awesome. Ah. Not the it first is. one that comes to mind. We didn't even practice on breakfast, so it's always a little bit of a risk when I ask my own daughter. Exactly, Sophia. Not too many horses, not too many wives. I think one of the coolest rules is the fact that he has to write. He has to write how many copies of the Torah? Two. Two. Two copies of the Torah. Now, I think that's really, really cool because he is a guy that is basically like top shelf. I mean, if you're a king, there really isn't anybody higher than you on earth. Only God is, is higher than you. You're probably head and shoulders taller than anybody else. Probably, yes. This guy, at least. The first one. <laughs> the, first yeah, no. the first one was. But yet, there is this command to do something above and beyond what anyone else has to do. I mean, I think this might even be the first time or the only time that somebody is literally required to read over and over again scripture. I mean, we're supposed to like know it and learn it and everything, but this is like the literal mitzvah. It's like you got to study scripture every day and carry around a Torah. Carry you. you can carry Torah school. Yeah, and I mean, I just think that is that is really amazing. So um, we we can definitely take a lot of of uh, a lot of things away from that. For us, it's important to study every day. Even though we're not even kings, we have an obligation to learn more and more about God by studying every single day. And by studying every day, we form the right habit, the habit that God wanted the king to have, which was whenever something comes up throughout the day, a question about something, or somebody wasn't nice to you and you need to know how to respond, or something happens and you don't know what to do, all of that reading and all of that studying will help you make the right choice. Because mm -hmm. the wisdom, uh, the beginning wisdom is the fear of God, and how do we instill the fear of God but by knowing what he said. So it's a very, very important thing to continually read every day. We try to do Torah time with our kids each morning and try to go with, through the Aliyah, and it's been really neat to see how fast they, they can catch on to things. So a regular habit, a regular routine of studying uh, from what we learned that the king has to do is a very good thing. A very good thing indeed. This week, I'm going to try to do the, uh, just kind of guide the portion discussion here out of my new Gutnik Human. Inspired edition. Yes. <laughs> I, I told my father-in-law, I'm going full Gutnik today. Yeah. Uh, so It fits you well. If I, I just start how, speaking how Arabic it, or something, please. How is it that your Gutnik is so much larger than mine? I, it was it was a gift so, from you. Maybe this was actually yours, and you <laughs> swapped you them out. Oh, yeah. No, it is, yes, it's a... Uh, it's, it's I can read that new. without my glasses. I know. Yeah. You may need to. I can read that from here. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. It is. It's been really, really fun to go through. So it is, I'll, a, uh, it is a really fun book. It is. It is. Yeah. It, it is indeed. So one of the. Uh, I thought this was so cool this week, and it sort of is. It. I think this is a really good, all-encompassing theme for this week's portion. So obviously, Shoftim, Judges. We know. We know that. That means Judges. But one of the things that the Pirkei Avot says is that there are the world hangs on three things. Law, truth, and peace. What's cool about that, though, is the Talmud then comes after, or it, the Talmud commentates on that particular verse, and it says, but what comes first is the adherence to the law, and from that, truth and peace come. Mm -hmm. Which is so cool. So when we read 
a portion all about judges, all about laws, and, and even the, uh, the police officers, just the, the actually the translation in, right. in this one, I think it's officers or something in, in the other mm -hmm. translations. But like, yeah, we, we we're reading about a bunch of laws. There's a ton of mitzvot in this portion. Uh, we're, we're reading about a judicial system and all that, and lest we think that's dry, I think that is a great way of thinking about it, where it's like, what comes first is the law, and then from there, we have truth and peace. Yes, sir? So, this, this portion opens up with where one of the places where our form of government comes from, right? I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, we have the lawgiver, in, in this case that would be God, and in our uh, form of government that would be the legislative branch. But then you've still got the other two branches is what this portion is about, right? The judges, which would be the uh, judicial branch, and the police officers, which is those that enforce the laws, the executive branch. So it's right here. So the, the, lead, the, the making of the laws has already been done in this case, but you still got those three. And so God provides the first to us as a gift, not time Torah, right? He gave us the Torah. And we have to have the judges to adjudicate how to apply the law and the police officers to enforce that law. And we see, at least in this version, after you check with the guys that are going to war, and everybody's been weeded out. You haven't, you haven't built a house that you didn't get into. You didn't do this. You didn't do then you pull, you put a guard at either end of the men to keep them towards the bow. So yeah, it's cool stuff. The, the, yes, sir. Just to go from that, like men like John Locke and and, and others that gave us the philosophy of our forefathers. They chose a republic, a, a republic, a republican version of government versus a Greek democracy, That's right. whereas many countries in the world that we would claim have similar ideals, Western values or whatever else, they're actually Greek democracy. Right. This is a Republican, this is a Republican form of government. As a republic, it's based on the biblical model, not everyone gets a vote. That's exactly right. And in fact, we now have the oldest government on the planet. No one has lasted as long as we have with the same form of government. There's been overrules and you know democracy doesn't solo. work it doesn't you, you can't have the mob seriously rule. ugly you can't have the mob rule can you explain a little more about what republic is um, it's a it's a representative government basically so you we, have you we, have leaders that are chosen right leaders that are chosen and the leaders here are appointed first of all by god and then by the people that God chooses appoints other leaders. Exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't negate <coughs> some form of democracy, but it, what what it does is it retains it retains law as as the as the principal foundation for all of our interaction as government. Which, as we see, that's why this statement: "We, America, the United States, are not a country of men, but rather a country of laws." Whereas. That's not true in, in most Western in democracies. Almost, almost They're all. countries of men and not laws. Laws can be undone. That's right. We'll undo the law. We don't like it. We'll just do something different. And, well, and unfortunately, we have we have people that actually have resorted to bring in those those European models, which are Greek models, about replacing law with men's opinions. And that's and it, what we're getting here. And, and the problem in those places is that the mob rules. 
the majority well, always wins. get enough wins. people to go along with it. So in a democracy. In a, that's, we don't have a democracy. No. no we, have a general. we have a representative republic, right? Sometimes. So what we have is we democratically, in a democracy, locally choose those who will represent us. And then they do what they are told we want. Mm -hmm. So in a state like Vermont, which is extraordinarily tiny, they get in some forms as much representation as California, which is amazingly large. So there's a great balance there in our government because of that representative or republic that we have. And it's extraordinary. And well, we got right, it right now you've got a very vocal minority that the media claims to be a majority and should therefore be heeded. The homosexual cause, for example, is 2% or less. I think it's quite a bit less than 2% of the population of our country. But if you're just watching mainstream media, you would think that they are a majority all of a sudden. Holy cow, how's that happen? Well, it hasn't happened, but that's what we're led to believe. And whatever they want, they should get because they're a majority. But even if they were a majority, that's not how this shows works. That's not the way it works. Exactly. Being enough is not enough. That you have to have what's truth, and that's the point of judges. They know it's true. They don't. They just say this is the truth. This is my. This is my uh, situation. Yeah. You bring the circumstances. I'll apply the truth to it. There's no argument. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs this week went into that because, of course, he was the the. Uh, Oh, chief rabbi, chief rabbi of Great Britain, so he's used to a monarchy, and uh, what's interesting is his take on government was really cool, because it was straight out of scripture, obviously, he was commenting on this portion, but at the end, he had like this great little line that said, at the end of the day, um, Torah isn't advocating one system or form of government over another, what it's advocating is the people choosing the government. You know, the government being appointed by the people, basically. Um, and, and I thought that was so cool because, yeah, it starts out with you should appoint judges, you know. And that's, that's a neat, that's a really neat introduction to, to kind of understanding what this is. And the, uh, but you but shouldn't vote on laws. Well, the, the law is already set. Law is already set. Law is voting already on set. judges. Well, yeah. And the, and the interesting thing is you should appoint judges and police officers for yourself for each of your tribes, mm. which is exactly what we do in America. Each state appoints those folks that will be over them and represent them. Yeah, absolutely. And then, well, we have uh, we have here this this whole quote too about this how bribery works and everything. I think I may have mentioned this a couple years ago, but it's worth repeating. I was so glad you were going to do that. Yeah. So so there's this this story of Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. I don't think it's the same one that's the poet. I think it was a different one, but. Anyway, he was, he was a judge, and uh, there was this case where he was pretty sure, you know, impartially, that the person was guilty given the evidence and whatnot, and all of a sudden, he felt himself shifting in his, in his favoritism towards the person and, and starting to question, and it, it freaked him out so much so that he, kind of, he recused himself, and it was only afterwards that he realized that somebody had slipped into his pocket no. an envelope of money and he was saying, he quoted this verse and said, how true it is that even without knowing, 
that bribery blinds the eyes of the wise. So it was cool, of course, that he was wise enough in order to notice that there was, a, there was a weird shift in his in his favoritism. But yes, yes I was just thinking about the irony here is that in our system of government, it's we're innocent until proven guilty, and yet Perkea vote says let each man come before a judge. The judge should assume that they are evil, but they should leave as innocent. That's right. Mm -hmm. Both parties. So, right. so the notion is that you're, in other words, as a judge, just like just like Rabbi Sack was talking about, as a, or Heschel was talking about, as a judge, you're you're actually not inclined towards anybody. Mm. That's excellent. But after but after judgment has been rendered, then you're, you're everybody's equal. Everybody's, everybody's great. Yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah. There was this really interesting thing that I've never heard before, but this week on the uh, Bob website. It, had, uh, it was the Lubavitcher Rebbe that was talking, he kind of was droshing a bit about one of the principles, probably comes from Maimonides' Law of Kings or something like that, but the principle that he said Torah law was this idea that you have these 23 mini Sanhedrin, that is of judges, that are going to rule over a particular case, so it's, it's I guess it's not in the case of um, an actual like um, local execution judge, or local, something like local that. Judge. But yeah, more of the local, right? And so that out of this 23, the way that they typically do it is they split up and they go certain parties that think the person is innocent in one camp and certain parties that think he's guilty in another camp. And the, the crazy part about that is if there is ever a case where no one is on the side of innocence, the person is immediately let go. Like because, and then the whole point, and so his drosh on that is the whole point is there should there is no one in this world that is so beyond help or, or so beyond evil in, in the, the depths of evil that there isn't one person that could be able to stand up for one shred of good in them. And so based on that, they, they have that as, as sort of one of their, their holocausts, which is so cool. I thought that was really fascinating. So then we have here too as well in uh, verse 20, pursue justice, justice, that's the, uh, like the, that double quote there. Right? Uh, jody, jody, yeah, yeah, that's, that's righteousness, righteousness. Yeah. And what's cool about that is, you know, that Rashi kind of comments on that whole idea is like you want to seek justice righteously. Like that, so you, you, your pursuit of justice isn't enough. You're, the way that you pursue justice also matters. The ends don't justify the means? Exactly. They do not. They do not. I remember when uh, Rick and I were taking our families to Williamsburg. And he shared. That was a hot time. Man, that was hot. And wet. Literally. Hot and wet. But it, one of my favorite times, and, and Rick shared a quote, I think it was from Robert E. Lee. It might have been Stonewall Jackson, now that I think about it. Stonewall Jackson, who said, Tell the truth truthfully. And same kind of same kind of thing that you just said, you know, where you want to pursue this justice righteously. You want to tell the truth truthfully. So you don't want to, don't leave anything out. Tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So you're telling the truth truthfully. Mm. It's just, to That's, me, it, that is it nails it. What I, and I, was, I was trying to think of an example of this, and it was cool because this week Tim Haig had brought up a, an example of when Yeshua quotes this in John chapter 7, and this is when the, we have some people come up to him and start questioning him about um, the healing on the Sabbath. 
Um, and so he, yeah, and he goes through and he says, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? So there's this, this issue of law, right? They're accusing him of breaking a law in this case. So then his quote to them is, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And that is exactly the verse, straight out of this portion. And it, that is such a great example, because that was a case where they, they were trying to use this situation to execute or, or to bring about justice for what they thought was him just not being okay. They just wanted to get rid of him somehow, and so they're just looking for something. And that's not the way that justice works. You don't just think that somebody's guilty about something and then go look for something to make sure that proves they're guilty. Oh wait, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I thought that was a fantastic uh, rebuttal that Yeshua gives to them uh, it's straight out of this verse. Actually, it's brilliant. When you think about it, it's really, oh, yeah. brilliant. Great, great response. The deafness which with, he, with which he does that there and throughout to just quote the Torah brings us right back to this portion where you, you can have judges and you can have officers but there is only one law and this is what the law says and it, he, he does it over and over again just effortlessly but it, gets, right back in the but it also gets to the heart and that's the great thing because the law is not heartless you know the Torah actually has, has at, its, at its core it is love and the notion that the Torah could be used to to forbid the healing of someone is really an anathema. When I mean, we think about it, it's like, no. I mean, we understand where it comes from now, but think about if you didn't know that, you'd go, no, that's not right. That's so, absolutely not it's right. It's not possible. Yeah. It's not possible. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. Um, if I might interject, you were it's talking about... It can, I don't know if I can do that. Of course, that's you can this talk all you want. Okay, yeah. Yeah. sure. Yeah, if you say something stupid, we'll just talk okay. <laughs> I don't intend to do that, but I'll, I'll try not to. Um, you were talking about telling the truth truthfully. Yeah. That goes along the line of something people call white lies and stuff right. like that. Oh, yeah. But what if I was to tell you that Ad and I advocated doing that at one point? True. An example with um, Samuel. True. And I had to confirm that just to make sure. Where basically um, Shaul or Saul um, displeased God by not um, completely wiping out the Amalekites, and as a result, um, Samuel, God told Samuel, you know, you need to go anoint David. And he said, well, if I go and Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. So we'll just go and tell him that you're sacrificing to me instead. <laughs> well, what was his intention? And he was going to sacrifice, of course, that was part of the protocol, right. but his underlying point for that was to anoint a new king, which was to actually usurp the current king, which is, you've got to be very careful with because you're not to touch the anointed anyway. Um, so I just want to interject that concept. How does that play in with regards to tell the truth truthfully? Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think it's a good point. Um, and should should I be a prophet? And should God speak to me? I think we're, we're good to go whenever God speaks directly to a man like that. Um, but by and large, I think we need to stick with Speaking truthfully, and and also the apostolic scripture says, "Speak the truth in love." Right. So, and that goes back towards the healing issue. It, you know, with the Torah, we might easily argue that healing on the Sabbath would be something well, you can wait, right? We easily ar easily argue that. So that's where it came from. Right. But it's not born from the intention of God, and the intention of God is obviously always towards kindness and love. 
And so in the same regard, that would be the same kind of thing. You know, the, the nation needed that truth. And the new king. That's right. And, and I'm reminding the one where it says forbearance and love. True. You know, God is long-suffering, and so he endures our doing wrong things. I remember, I remember wow. and, and in the same regard, I remember when I was a young man, I remember hearing a sermon about, you know, telling the truth. And, you know, where, you know, if you were harboring someone in your home, you know, like an Anne Frank, you know, they come and they say, what Do you, you have any say? Jews with you? And they said, you know, you should, obviously, you should lie. And I was stunned. I was like, no. I mean, it's always cut and black, you know, it's, yeah, it's black and white. Yeah. We always tell the truth. And I was stunned by that thought, and I really re completely rejected it. And it, actually, that's wrong. The, the truth is that we should tell the truth in love. We should tell the truth truthfully, which means what we should really do is not always be black and white. That's right. Yeah. There's gray areas. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not really, though. They're not yeah, really gray yeah. areas. That's the key. Well, the because basic because of that is culpamere. Right. Weightier things. That's right. right. So exactly. you, you, preserve, you preserve a life at the expense of exactly right. Exactly right. And that's where Yeshua came from on the healing of the Sabbath. And that's so where he what's came. What's the weightier thing? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't. We don't even pray for the sick on the Sabbath. So if someone were to come in, and and they're sick, and someone were able to heal them, I just cannot even imagine rebuking them for doing that mm -hmm. on the Sabbath. Here's a person who's just made whole, made well, whatever it is. Especially after you saw it. Yeah. Wait a second. There was just a miracle, and we're going to badmouth God for that? Mm -hmm. Hello? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm reminded of something you said before about life. That life trumps. Trumps. Or... Yeah, I think, I, I think it was Alex. Life trumps everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's the whole idea. And, and the master promoted that, right? Everything except idolatry. Except idolatry, yeah. right? So if someone's life is, is suffering or is at stake. And which would be Dan Frank's situation. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Even, even, even the matter of, I mean, it's a tradition, but even the matter of kosher. Right. It's what? like life trumps everything. What are you saying with that? Even the matter of, it's like even if, even if the only thing to eat was something that you shouldn't eat, you eat life trumps to, everything. To, to survive. Yeah. Right. I would I would submit in, in in the cases we've talked about that we're still telling the truth truthfully mm -hmm. because it lines up with the truth, with the law. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's Samuel God's intention. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and the law is his perfect will and his perfect direction. Giving good giving point. blood. We would not laugh at that at all. That was awesome. <laughs> it was excellent. It giving point. blood to someone that is dying. How does the blood transference fit in on the life? Um, saving a life that is transfusion. Transfusion. Does it okay. negate the fact that you're supposed to spill blood upon the ground? But here you are taking you're another. Spill, you're supposed blood. to spill blood on the ground for that which you eat mm -hmm. when you kill an animal. You wouldn't be spilling a person's blood on the ground because the only thing that happens is when he's killed, and then it needs to be atoned for. So I don't have any problem at all with the transfusion because I'll do just about anything to save your life. The mouth-to-mouth -mouth thing is a problem for me. <laughs> Other than that, and we get out my blood. It's only because yeah. of the beard. It you is. Really. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you take a transfusion from any blood? 
I mean, I guess they could do. Would I take a transfusion? Yeah. If I need a transfusion, I don't think I have a whole lot of option there. Right. That would be my wife making that choice. To get it. So to if it were the other way around and, you know, from a Muslim, yeah. of course, to keep my wife alive, absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. If he met. It's got to be a match. Right? Gotta be match. But, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that have problems with that. You know, mm -hmm. Is it yeah. Seventh-day Adventist or Jehovah's Witness? Jehovah's Witness. Well, you know, they don't do those things. Is it? No, not Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't think it was Seventh-day Adventist. It's Jehovah's Witness, right? It's Jehovah's you know, Witness. The bottom line is your blood is not you. Your belief and your, and your blood is two different things. The blood is, is where the life is. You're a mystic. Yeah. And use use euphemistically in exactly. the sense of is your life. Exactly. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Does that help? Or you are you uh, you know, uh, a transfusion if you're I mean I just good. want to know in case you get in a bad car accident. Right. Yeah, yeah. Do you want a believer's blood to go into you? I'll give you mine, man. What, what I, by the way, I'm a universal donor, so that's uh, open yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Joseph is the one we go to. Opas, I'm the guy. Yeah. Well, so uh, we, we have, as we continue on in the portion, some interesting things that jump right into idolatry. And I always love when there are commentaries about why certain things are juxtaposed with certain things. And I didn't read any specific commentary around why there's a lot of, like, prohibitions against idolatrous things in this particular portion that's, like, intermixed with all of these things about, like, our judicial system and everything. But it was just occurring to me as we've been talking about this that probably one of the biggest deals there is the thing that makes our the judicial system as set up by God continue. It's one thing to set it up, but the thing that makes it continue is the, the rightful and truthful interpretation of his word and the acknowledgement of him as the authority in everything, which is, of course, exactly the opposite of what idolatry is. So it makes a lot of sense, actually, to have a lot of prohibitions, a lot of its vote against the various things about idolatry, intermixed with all the things about God's law, learning his law, the, in the, the keeping of his law. So that is, uh, that is just sort of an interesting, an interesting thing we have here. Oh, yes. So are you in 17? Yeah, 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 we're kind of coming into 17 there, yes. So I was, I was reading the, the sparks of Hasidut at the oh, bottom there on that yeah. with Radvaz. Um, I didn't know that. For those, for those of you who don't know what that is, indefinite pronoun reference, uh, Radbaz says, uh, so you know, we're reading in chapter 17, uh, when you are informed by witnesses and hear the case investigating thoroughly, you see the statements of the testimony is consistent true that an abomination has occurred in Israel, you got to take this guy out. Uh, that was my version. But um, Radbaz says that a man could not um, cause his own death. Uh, a person is not executed as a result of his own admission because his soul is not his to give away. The soul belongs to God. And you still need two witnesses. Two witnesses. Mm -hmm. And if, if that's the way that they were treating that, again, like the, he's guilty. 100% of us say he's guilty. Well, then we got to let him off. Something's got to be wrong. There's, there's always a shred of goodness somewhere, right? Yeah. Same thing here, that the guy could not be convicted to death. Our jurisprudence actually takes that into account in, right? a, in a in a you know in a declaration of guilt or non-guilt by by the one who is being accused. Not guilty, you basically takes uh, execution off the table. 
it'll be you know life in prison, but not you know, not not the uh, death penalty. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, I just thought it interesting that uh, you know they a man has possessions, and everything on the earth is is God's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owes all the gold and silver, but soul that's on deposit. Yeah, it's not cool. Yeah, that's a cool. That's a cool concept. Yeah, it, it is cool too to think that if anyone were to think this was a little loophole for you know taking care of that guy over there that you really didn't like, it's like oh, all we got to do is get two guys to go against them and he's done. Right? It's so cool that like then Hashem goes ahead and says ah, but if there are false witnesses, mm -hmm. basically whatever they wanted to happen to that other guy and they're found to be false witnesses, not that's going to happen to them. Which we I think need actually, that. That's good. I like that. I, and, False so yeah. accusation. Yes, that actually works very well in parenting as well. You <laughs> know, right. tattletaling. Uh, when there are uh, little tattles in order to get someone in trouble, that's how it works in our house. If it's true. If it's, if yes, yes. If, uh, yeah, the, whatever punishment would have happened to the other one happens to the one that <laughs> tried to fib to get the other one God's to get genius. in trouble. I know that is that is so brilliant. In case anyone wanted to try to exploit the the, the whole witnesses thing, um, that yeah, that is that is amazing. It's there, cool. Oh yes, go ahead. Wasn't, wasn't there a, 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 a some kind of commentary here throughout the week about the? I can't find it right now. It's got to be on the next couple of pages. But basically, it was it was along the lines of. If it turns out that a witness lied, you know, the two false witnesses lied, and the guy was going to be killed because of their lie, that they should be killed instead. But if they lied, I think it was Ron Bond who said, if they lied and he actually got killed, well, then we don't need to kill the witnesses, because God would never, it's, this is a sovereignty of God teaching, God would never have allowed the Sanhedrin to come to the conclusion to take this man's life unless he was actually guilty, even though they lied. Now, I, you know, I'm a Ramban fan, more so than Rambam, uh, but this is one of the reasons. He is so over the top with the sovereignty of God mm -hmm. and, and his comments show that throughout his commentary that I never would have I, I never would have thought of that. You know? So he's he's like, okay, we've got the false guys and they should get the same punishment. Well the punishment in this case is death. So yeah, you wanted him dead, you're gonna die because you lied. But oh, he's already dead. Well then I'm gonna let you go because it must have been true. Because God would not have allowed it unless it was true. Are you saying you agree with that assessment? I'm saying that I love that Ramban has such a strong belief in the sovereignty of God. I can't obviously go. So glad I don't have to make that next, Yeah, I can't go to that next step because I've, I've seen perversions of justice, obviously. But, but really, truly, if we do
peace in our struggles. Absolutely. Situations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, but I, I think if we look at, at you know today's justice system, perhaps, right? I'm a big proponent of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Big proponent. Um, but I know that I, I know that innocent men have been killed. There's a problem. The problem is not with the death penalty. The problem is with our people. The problem is with our application of righteousness and so forth. So, Ramban tended towards life, even, even the even the evil. Right, which is why he's he's actually saying. I mean, if we boil down what he's saying, is not just the sovereignty of God, but let these people live, which is extraordinary. He's a good guy, and he, and he speaks French. <laughs> <laughs> Is this on the speaking French comment? No. Oh, I'm just <laughs> but all of this reminds me of the later when it's talking about the cities of refuge. Yeah. Where yeah. somebody can't yeah. lie and say, oh, I didn't intend to do it. It was right. an accident. And, and hide so and murder. That if they know that there was something in his heart against them, they come and get him, the elders so of that city, and take him out. This is yeah. an Italian thing, I'm telling you what. This <laughs> <laughs> has been dead a half Semitic for sure. That's right. <laughs> but the fact that the justice is justice on both sides. Yeah. That you can't hide from justice Even. And, and lie about what you did. That's right. In the same way that you're not supposed to lie about what someone else did. You know, God wants justice regardless of the event and what happened, mm-hmm. and He wants truth. Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a great point. Yeah. We're kind of we're kind of making our way there. Uh, we got the appointment. Go to the of king, king first. Yeah. Yeah. We got the appointment of the king. All the, those neat things the kids were reminded of that 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 has the specific prohibitions of the king. The, uh, the commentary kind of, you know, points out that when you read through those, they do remind you of a specific king. <laughs> and uh, and we, we kind of know how much of a struggle he had because of some of these things, between the wealth and the wives and, and whatnot. But, um, but, yeah, nevertheless, I mean, I, I think these are um, all the prohibitions of the king, too, that even, even though... They, they do apply specifically to the king. They are just, they're so neat in terms of the lessons that they provide to us too. I especially like the one about the Torah. So I just think that's so cool. I mean, imagine how amazing countries would be if like every one of the leadership had to do something similar to that. Literally study the Bible. Oh, you want to be a senator? You want to run for president? You have to study the Bible every day and write your own copy of it. Mm-hmm. Like, and when our country was was government was being devised. I mean, our founding fathers, to a man, were making statements like, our form of government is wholly inadequate for a non-religious people. Mm -hmm. Right. And the highest calling for a man would be that he would serve his country as a politician because he would be under such scrutiny and and such pressure to make righteous judgment and righteous decisions for the people that had sent him there, that he would never get there unless his character was above, absolutely above reproach. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a time, yeah, it, 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 it'll take too long. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, politicians, I mean, right now, I think, are, are regarded as some of the lowest slime on the planet that still survives. Mold is, is actually higher in most cases 
And yet, that's exactly the opposite of the way it was intended in the beginning right. of our founding. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? They were the people behind, they were supposed to be the people behind the scene. I mean, all of these things point to one thing, humility. That's right. Not having a lot of money, not having a lot of power, not having a lot of, you know, giant military, not, you know, always, always submitting to Hashem as the higher power. Like, those are all right. traits of humility. I mean, even the way that they used to pick, and they probably still do now, but the way that they would pick the Rebbe and the Chabad uh, movement, they had to not want it. Like, that was, like, actually one of the biggest keys to, for them to know that that was the guy, is when he'd be like, absolutely not. I'm definitely not going to be the Rebbe. And it was like, well, then you're the guy, of course. You know? I mean, obviously they get that model from Moshe, because it's a similar thing, right? How many times did you try to say, it's not me, I'm, I'm sure of that. Yeah, I don't even Hashem, speak well. I know, I know. And yet, Hashem did amazing things. The guy who didn't speak well. Is on, the, on the on the mention of the kings, it always is. It is interesting from Psalm God that from the story of Samuel and and the selection of of uh, Saul, it appears, and and we can conclude that wanting a king is somehow wrong. That it's God's second best. Okay, was, if you I have was, a king, but you have to. I do was going to go there. You hear that a lot in this. But church. it's not. That's not the case because if we don't have a king, we don't have King David, and we most importantly don't have King Messiah. Amen. So having a king, it does. It you know, it's the imperative. You will set a king up for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and 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 the, uh, it says. Uh, you should always set a, set a king over you, one whom God will choose. So it's this like, which comes first? We're supposed to choose a king or you're going to choose a king? And it's yes. kind of like, yes. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so the people are participants in the choosing of this king. Amen. And they were. Unfortunately, they chose beauty and height over character. Mm -hmm. And that's the error. The error was not in wanting a king. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and, and like I said, in the church, you constantly hear that the sin was that they wanted a king. It's not possible that it was. They a wanted sin a king like the nations around them is what they wanted. That was they a wanted a big wrong. guy wanted, that would beat everybody. They wanted Og and Sihon is they, what they wanted. They yes. wanted a champion. Yes. That's yeah. exactly right. Rather than a man after God's own heart, which is the kind of king that we should desire. They should have chosen William Wallace. That would have been. Good. He's big and had character. He'll move. Yeah. All not. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, excellent point, though. That is an excellent point. Because that is, a, it's almost like a little bit of a contradiction. You start thinking about both of those and thinking like, oh, wait, like, Hashem kind of gets upset that they would ask for a king. But then he actually has an entire section of Torah dedicated to when you ask for a king. So it's like, well, which is it? But that's an excellent test. And Saul, by the way, Saul was a humble man at first. There's no question of the men that they had. Saul was a humble guy. But, but the prophet makes it clear why it's a problem. Saul wasn't the problem. It was why they, why wanted. they wanted a king. That's right, yeah. They rejected Hashem, Hashem yeah. as their yeah. king. Yeah. Good point. Well, and here, but don't look at the Bible right now. Going after the instruction of a he went to going into well, war. True. Instead of asking God like he had been doing. True. Yeah. He thought he was better. That's how he lost it. Yeah. Absolutely. He thought he was better. He thought he was better. Mm -hmm. He started believing his own press. <laughs> yeah. 
That's good. So uh, what I, I wanted to jump to um, 18.9, where it starts talking about the, the prohibitions of fortune-telling and all that. There you this, go. Uh, this uh, specific Gutnik um, Gamash edition, it, it was really neat because I, it wasn't until this, this, uh, this year, as I was reading through this, that I, in, I, I read that some might see all of these prohibitions against fortune-telling and against you know, sort of thinking about the, the, the future and consulting things for the future as being sort of like uh, opposed to prophecy. Like, it, it, does this make prophecy an issue by all of these prohibitions? And I hadn't really thought of that before because they're sort of similar in their intentions. With, with prophecy, there's a message about uh, uh, something that's going to be happening that Hashem is delivering through a person. And in some of these cases, it's not a person, so that, that is obviously weird. But in some cases, it is through a person. So you're seeking to know about the future through a specific person. But it's neat because uh, Rashi kind of just squashes that apparent contradiction right away and describes how prophecy is essentially the reason that it's so different is because it's not necessarily the future of an individual as much as it is like what's going to happen that Hashem wants you to potentially change. A lot of times prophecy is about repentance. So there's an action that needs to take place before something else happens. But the biggest issue with all of this other fortune telling stuff is that it's all selfish. It's all you wanting to know about you. It's, it's you, I think the way that he puts it is like examining carefully the intricacies of your destiny. Like that's sort of how he frames all of this like fortune telling and everything as opposed to what prophecy is all about. I thought that was a really helpful explanation. That ties in with what Gloria said. Right. Well, and actually going to man for your direction versus God for your direction. Right, exactly. And prophets, true prophets, true prophets is a message from God. Right. Because he says if it's a false prophet that they would be stoned. They would be killed. Right. If, if someone prophesied and it failed to come true, then they would be killed. Right. Right. So you wouldn't be a prophet for long. If it was, <laughs> that's you know, that's if it true. Was in a just, you know, the society. Exactly. And if you tried doing any of these other weird things instead Which is, of prophecy, like these days, you would also be killed. Lots of false prophets. Right. You know, and and it really boils down to power over people and gathering from. A false prophet in yeah. today's society yeah. is power That's right. over people. Yeah, wasn't it always there? Yeah, and money. What, one of the uh, it's 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 always kind of uh, spooky to think about. You know, he uh, this this particular portion right here, it goes through a lot of very specific things. You know, it doesn't just like give a broad brush like, hey, make sure you don't do anything weird with fortune telling. It like actually <laughs> specifies a bunch of ways. And I think that's because that all works. Like back then, all that black magic and all this weird stuff that it's listing out, it actually did work. Mm -hmm. But that was not the way that Hashem intended for whatever was coming from this to actually happen. I mean, we, going back to Saul, that did work. He talked to somebody, right? I mean, like, so it's 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 something that that's why I think there's so much emphasis on the fact that like you are to absolutely get rid of these people immediately. Because if, if some of this stuff starts happening, that means they're messing with things that were never meant to be messed with in this way. But didn't he lose his head? Who? He and his sons. Who? She prophesied. She told them 
Well, she told him the truth. And he did. I mean, it worked, unfortunately. But is that not the battle that they You're talking about Jehoshaphat. You're talking about Jehoshaphat. No, I'm talking about Saul. Saul and his sons. Yeah, the next day they're going to yeah, they die in battle. They were beheaded in the... Well, the son got caught in a um, thicket and was stabbed by a spear by one of the enemies, and Saul fell on, his fell on his sword and died. And they staked their heads up. Oh, on a city. Oh, yeah, Later yeah, on, they attached right. to a city. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, but very, very scary yeah. stuff here. This is, again, going back to the way that Hashem structured things, that's how we should be. With regards to prophecy, seeking other sources, yeah. it's still pseudo and True in this in the source. Yeah. True in that there is a measure of truth, but it's not divine exactly. truth in the sense that it's perfect. There's no um, misconstruction at all. So um, you have all these subpowers, you know, that God gives, such as principalities and demons, right. who's got an, a measure of understanding, being able to read the signs in the heavens and different forms of um, luminaries that are, um, God created. Mm -hmm. But it's still a guesswork, even to the demonic realm. Yeah. So they can give you a good idea of what's going to happen, but they're still never. So to seek absolute truth mm -hmm. from something like that is a gross... We, we have that example of the Egyptian magicians right. doing the same thing that Russia exactly. was doing. Just can't make lice. Lice seem to be yeah. a problem. Lice are problems. I mean, tiny things are problems. <laughs> All right, definitely the finger of God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I remember they when uh, we were we were trying to put a bathroom in in the girls' bedroom upstairs, and uh, Master Plumber comes out and, and he said, uh, "All right, so we got the the main drain from the from the toilet and the shower and everything going down the back of the house. We need to get that into the main drain for the house. Where's the main drain for the house?" I, I'm the homeowner. I don't. I don't. I, I flush the toilet. I, I don't. You hired a water witch. <laughs> I didn't hire him, but believe it or not, the plumber, you know, his his helper was here, and he said, you know, we could just bring the bring the pipe right around the back of the house, around the pool, and through the gate, and then into the front yard, because your main drain needs to be coming out of the front of the house somewhere, going into that manhole cover in the middle of the cul-de-sac. So where is that pipe? And they're like, normally there'd be a nail, some kind of nail in the brick to, to indicate the pipes underneath this nail. They were looking all over the place for a nail. And I'm like, <laughs> I just bought the house. It was five years old when I bought it. I don't know anything about it. And sure enough, you know, the guy goes out to the truck and gets, you know, sort of, sort of a, a U-shaped stick. And he says, you know, if I walk along like this, with the stick out like this, as soon as I cross over that pipe, it's gonna go wham. That guy must have walked for 15, 20, almost Didn't 25 so minutes well. across the whole front yard. And the stick never moved. And he goes, you, you know, I'm looking at him like, what, what, what do we do? I just wanna find the pipe, you know? And he says, uh, it needs to be flowing. I, I can only find flowing water. <laughs> I said, we, I would go up and flush the toilet a bunch of times, but we haven't put in the toilet yet. Mm. And he could not find the pipe. I wasn't too impressed with the whole divining deal, but 
<laughs> we had a plumber come out a, a year later to dig a hole to connect up to that pipe. It's got to be some science. He was convinced. Rastus's stick divination. Yeah, I think that's, stick I think that's, that's the whole thing. That's is that different? I don't know. Is, it, is that no. where you go no. and throw it down? Yes, that's, yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it's like dice. Snack. Because oh, okay. <laughs> the next guy that came out thought he had it. He lets, he lets you use dice, just not sticks. Just not sticks, okay. Lots. Okay. No, no Because the guy that thought he found the pipe with the stick, no, that's, got, that's, yeah. he got a, a backhoe and took out one of the sections of the driveway, and it wasn't there. <laughs> he cut the power. He cut the gas. But he so never, backhoe divination doesn't work either. No, he never cut the water because the water wasn't there. Yeah. Now, stick divination is, a, is an ancient is an ancient Eastern form of fortune telling using a handful of sticks. Okay. And you okay. throw them down. No. Is right. that not unlike the tarot cards? It is. Okay. I mean, it's all it's all just Same like you said. Of. It's all about personal revelation of yes. my destiny. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well. I was going to get an example of that. Sure. But if we can move on, it's fine. Uh, but um, who was it? Um, Jacob. He basically became a great seer. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, he had a yeah. silver cup, a bowl, that he used for div divination. And what the concept was, they would put water in it, and they would put, like, gems, precious gems and gold and silver in it, and read the reflection on that um, in order to divine. Now, of course... I happen to believe that he used that as a facade sure. in order to, you know, convince other people that's what he's doing, but in reality he goes to God. But that sort of concept obviously had some form of effect because they used it quite often. Sure. And the sign of authority was you had this silver cup that you used. It mean you were the highest seer in the land of Mitzrayim at that point. So. And he used that very same thing right. to, to nail Benjamin mm -hmm. and bring mm -hmm. redemption about. Sure. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Divides with animals, talking about, you know, the entrails of a goat. Yeah, you know, I'd rather have a different job. And, and the interesting thing is it follows immediately after the discussion of kings and it goes straight into the consultative spirits of the day. So it's like somehow God knew. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Excellent it really point. is. Excellent it really point. Is. Yes. Yeah. How much of this portion fits it's in about with Saul. the first king? Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Did you check out the the version of version? Did you check out the translation in our version of verse thirteen? That's exactly where I was going. Read it, brother. Go ahead. Oh well. So, in a lot of versions of the Bible, I think that verse is specifically. Uh, the verse 18, I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 13. I think it says something like... Um, Who's got that in a normal be version? perfect, I think. Uh, What's normal? Inspired. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going, I'm not the Lord your God. What does that say again? Yeah, you blameless. shall be blameless. That's actually very good, but this illuminates this is, better. This yeah, is this awesome. Is, yeah, you, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. So Rashi points out that that word, tamim, is most often translated perfect. You should be perfect before the Lord your God. But He's it's really... Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what Jacob is. He's yeah. the perfect man. Yeah, the perfect man. Exactly, yeah. Um, to, to many would, I guess, be Tamim. But, um, yeah, so so it's neat because this particular version says, uh, do not probe in the future, but be simple-hearted with God, your God. So it, it actually takes a little bit of a diversion from the traditional understanding of that word 
just really this specific case. And so this commentary kind of goes into, now why would that be? Why, why make that, uh, make, uh, read this a little bit different? And it really does go back to the issues here with like fortune telling and whatnot, because the, the point that this verse follows all of that about fortune telling, um, Rashi kind of goes into the fact that the whole idea of being simple hearted, the whole idea of being like of a, of a simple mind in regard to your service to Hashem is that you, you don't ever, you would never want to go after these things. You, you would never be looking past Hashem for things about Hashem. Like, if it's like asking your father when you're his age for wisdom and then saying, hmm, maybe I'll ask the guy next door. What? Right. Or it's exactly even, what it is. Exactly, yeah. It, it, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Every time I think of something that's simple-hearted, I always think of how Yeshua would, would describe children, and, but yet how much faith they had, the simple faith, right? And that's exactly the example that I was thinking of where it's like, would I want my children to be like, eh, I was going to ask dad, but now I'll just ask the next door neighbor. Yeah. And it's like, no, of course not. Like, ask me. And especially not going asking the next door animal's dog. Yeah. <laughs> or walking stick. Or, or going next door and eating the dog's food instead of eating the food at his father's table. Right. Right. Good point. So anyway, it's, it's a really cool way of understanding that amazing quote uh, in, in its context here of all of this uh, information about prohibitions against fortune telling. So. It's one of those times where God is in, imploring us to not, don't make this difficult. Right, so exactly. It's yes. pretty simple. Yes, excellent point. Did you have anything else to say from that? No, no, that's good. Okay. Well, we can keep moving on here. Um, a little bit more about uh, the, the, the prophet that we were talking about, the, or the, uh, the measure of whether or not a prophet is true, if, if it, comes to pass, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, but of course, we get into that uh, that amazing quote uh, that Stephen actually uses in, in his um, sermon that he gives before he's killed in Acts 7, uh, a reference to the prophet that's going to come. Where is that? I thought I had it there. Verse 15? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and God, your God, will establish a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers, and you must listen to him. So I think that is, uh, that's, that's neat to, to have right here in this week's portion, because we see that Stephen actually uses that to confirm Yeshua's uh, identity as the prophet that was meant to come, that was the, uh, the, pro the prophesied prophet that was going to come. So I, I think it's good to pause for a second and just remind ourselves of... Uh, Yochanan Hamakvil, John the, the non-Presbyterian. So um, we read that in the Apostolic readings. Would you read uh, Matthew 3, I think, right? 13. 3? Mm -hmm. 3. Yes. Matthew 3. 3. Okay. With, yeah, uh, John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. right. yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, the whole Yeshua is coming to him to be baptized. And uh, this, this whole thing here focuses us on that, that whole deal. Right. So they ask they ask John, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. So in the church 
they don't know who the prophet is because they don't read the Torah, right? So it's either the Messiah or Elijah because they know who Elijah is. It's a book of the Bible, right? So are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? Who's the prophet? This is the prophet, right? The prophet who will be just like Moses. Moses, the redeemer, the first redeemer, the ultimate or final redeemer would come and he would be just like this guy. He would come down the mountain twice. He would come down from God twice. He would give the people the law. He would speak only truth. He would speak what God put in his mouth, just like Moses. Mm -hmm. If we malign Moses, as, as some in the church would do from time to time, we're actually maligning Messiah because they parallel one another. Yeah, this is this is an unbelievable prophecy about the master. It is, and I just was remembering Acts three. Also, mm -hmm. Peter uses the same verse, so it's not just Stephen; it's actually Peter as well. And and the, why? Because I think they understood. It's big. It was it was a huge yeah. deal. I mean, this was this was something that everybody had memorized, that everybody would have been thinking about mm -hmm. uh, as they think about the Messiah. Right. So the Book of Hebrews thematically uses this as well. That's exactly right. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. I don't know what more you want. You had the voice coming from heaven, which the Prussian heard, That's and right. they refused That's because right. it went against their talking note and their mind. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, you got all the witnesses right there, and then you got the Daniel prophecy. If you want to throw that into it, and it matches up perfectly. Yeah, well, it's it's undeniable. Yeah, yeah. You, you you can only deny it if you have a, a different motive. Right. 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 So jumping ahead to the cities of refuge, one of the things I, I had just glossed over, I guess, in previous years that I didn't even think about this year, and, and help, thankfully, reading through the Gutnik Kumash, it kind of it really points this out, that it's not just three cities of refuge that are commanded. It's an additional three, That's right. and that hasn't been completed yet, mm. and that will be completed when Messiah comes back. Yeah. And it's amazing because, man, you would just would, ah, that is something that I would have never heard before out of any other institution that I would have been a part of, but this is like, this is literally like a proof text for Messiah, according to all this commentary. It's like, if you didn't believe in Messiah before, where's the other three cities of refuge? Of course there's a Messiah coming, and you're like, wait, did I miss something? How did the cities of refuge, what? And anyway, as you dive And, and then you gotta stop and go, so you're waiting for Messiah to see the, I, w I wasn't waiting for that. Yeah. It, it really is astonishing when you look at their faith and they're waiting for Messiah. Yeah. And they've got a checklist of what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Three additional cities of refuge, which are, I mean, and these are, they're very, very cool. The, uh, some of the, uh, the commentary was suggesting that, you know, why, why do these, uh, why do the, 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 the uh, leaders of the city that's closest to the guy, oh, I guess that's actually a little bit later. The guy why do any cities of refuge if we're if, if Messiah's here? That's an excellent question. There is he an will, explanation rule, of that. He will rule with a rod of iron. Because people don't, all of them, of don't want to keep control. It's, yeah, it's how the city are still the adulterers, the murderers, the thieves, the sorcerers. I mean, he even warned if you don't come up during the day of tabernacle, all the judgments of evil will fall upon you. All right. So obviously there's going to be people who are still going to... One of my favorite out. verses is... Can I find that? Yeah, yeah. It's verse five uh, in uh, nineteen. <laughs> if, if you're out in the you're out in the woods and you're chopping wood, 
and the iron leaves your your axe and flies off and finds your fellow. That's the King James. It finds your fellow. Bonk! So that he died. Run. Run. Which, back to, we were talking about majority report and the, the eyes and, and all of that during our egg time. <laughs> that's what one of those prophecy chicks, that's what she was screaming, right? Run! Which is exactly what you knew if the axe file falls up right. and finds your fellow, run! There's an Italian guy coming to get you. Yeah. You know, He's going to take you out, run and find one of these three cities. Yeah. The script must have been written by a Taurus column. That's yeah. right. I, I, that, that is a very interesting question about why we would need cities of refuge when Messiah is here. Well, um, maybe he's not going to be here, and I thought we were all going to heaven. That's the point. Uh, ah! oh, right, that is a good point. The explanation, though, is kind of interesting. It's it's the it's a contingent of if somebody accidentally kills somebody right before Messiah arrives. There you go. That's one of the. the That's sad if you think about it, because the high priest has to die. <laughs> will never happen. Yeah. He'll never die. He's <laughs> going to stay in for eternity. Darn. Rats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, That's yeah. funny. But this but, is uh, not, but a city is not for someone who's wickedly done anything. That's right. It's for right. someone who's accidentally Because you can liability. go in and get him out of there. It's liability. So, so it looks like that potentially in Messiah's time there's still working going on and still activity going on. And People so can die. There would be accidents. Yeah. People can die. I, I think it's important to recognize that it's in the world to come where there is no death. Mm. In In... If we, if we look at the days of Messiah, we've got a thousand years where some people are in, let's call them glorified bodies, and some people are in natural bodies. The glorified bodies are not reproducing, they're done. But those of us, well, I'm assuming you're gonna go with me, but, right, so those of us who are in natural bodies will reproduce, grow old, and die. We may grow longer, but you know th there is death. But it's clear in the scriptures that Messiah will rule with a rod of iron. Because there will be people chafing under his rule. They will not want to keep the Torah. That means in the millennium, there are people that do not know him as God, as Messiah, as the Mashiach. And if that's the case, many more than 60. That is, I'm, the commentary does say that it's thinking there won't be even any accidental murders in the Messianic era. So, not, I, mean, I actually am not really sure about that. The, 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 where they get that from is that uh, Isaiah 2.4, where it says one nation will not lift a sword at another. Um, that's, I guess, more... Well, there may not be wars. Specific murders, yeah, but, but it, this is even saying they don't think there will be even accidental ones, because evil will be eliminated in the messianic era. But well, if we go to Revelation, it says if someone dies like two or three hundred, they'll have died in their like youth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So death is obviously well. It's not part of the Tanakh, but I, well, yeah, yeah, so I they, they can't this, really reference it. The I natural think, part, yeah. Sure. But I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't thinking this was saying yeah. no death. I think this was just saying that even an accidental murder is considered like an evil thing, and that evil won't be present there. And the thing but, is, is it a yeah. proximity of the New Yerushalayim, or is it going to be on the world itself? Oh, no, that's a good point. Yeah. If it's outside it's within Israel, the, land. the, the, yeah. the yeah. cities of refuge are in the land. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there may be stuff going on 
elsewhere. So, so if, if you accidentally kill someone in Baghdad, you run get a to flight. the closest to them. <laughs> <laughs> it's those three additional cities, you know, maybe in the land of Reuben. Right, right Baghdad, on the other side of, of the Jordan. Yeah, right. Right. Like run. Yeah, yeah, good pointers. Who so, knows? Uh, I mean, I, we, we want to get right along here with the, uh, with the Torah. So there's there's a couple things that I, I thought were kind of neat this uh, in this week's portion that I was just going to kind of point out sort of quickly, and then um, if anyone has anything else from the rest of this portion, please feel free to speak up. One of the interesting things that First of Zion drashed on this week was this whole idea of the neighbor's boundary markers and how it goes, I mean, Torah really goes into some detail here about those boundary markers. There's various other quotes throughout scripture that refer to how awful it would be if you were to move one of these boundary markers. And it was neat because uh, First of Zion was just kind of drashing that out a bit and saying, you know, this, this is like a principle in, in everything in life. There's constantly boundaries. And if there isn't strict punishment about moving those, then, then you know, it's, they're, they're kind of irrelevant. They become irrelevant. You know, there needs to be justice. There needs to be law around keeping the boundaries where they're at. And, of course, they go through a great list of, of the various boundaries that we encounter in our lives. You know, just boundaries between men and women. And, you know, boundaries in gender and in work and in, uh, of course, countries and whatnot. Um, but it, it, it's, it's an interesting and very uh, strong mitzvah about not moving these boundaries so that we always know where, where these, uh, these boundary markers were um, and, and just how, how bad that would be if you moved them. Yes? Since you just sort of pseudo-spiritualized that whole deal, which I don't disagree with, would you pseudo-spiritualize the idea of moving the boundaries of Torah as being consistent mm -hmm. with this? That God said then this was wrong, mm -hmm. and therefore, if we move that boundary and now say, okay, well, homosexuality is okay, eating meat with blood in it is okay, eating swine is now okay, are we not doing the same thing and moving an ancient boundary that our forefathers had set? I just see it as the same kind of thing and that slow erosion of righteousness and, and the rule of law and in, in all parts of life, I think we, we see that. Right. And I, I'm flabbergasted that you can go into synagogues today as well as churches as, is there some other category? Some, Mosses. you know, I tried to say it was Mosses. No. Um, all of those that, you know, Moshe did not write the Torah and it's okay to eat swine flesh, and it's okay to eat blood, and it's okay for a man to have sex with a man, it's okay for a, you know, you know cross-dressing, just go down the list of, of just depravity. And to me, that's what this is all about. Yeah. It's not just, I mean, if you're thinking about the, the piece of concrete that's over in the corner of my land over there that's got some kind of weird hieroglyphics on it that says, that's the corner of my land. I think you're missing out a bigger point. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Because the principle actually is also borne out in Minhag as well, where where it's not to say that if if our ancestors were idolaters, we should absolutely reject that. But if our ancestors are righteous people, we should we should honor them and we should be careful not to undo what they did. Mm -hmm. 
And so if my, if my father practice a certain thing, then I should be very careful not, not to, uh, or, or to just toss, detach myself from it. So, I mean, that's why, that's, that's exactly why we see Orthodox wearing, wearing clothing that, you know, dates from the 19th, the 18th, the 18th century is because they're, they're attempting to, as Minhag, attempting to honor their ancestors in the, in the same way that it talks about not moving. This is neighbor's boundary, so it's not quite the same, but there is a, there is a measure of, of uh, Minhag as well. They're being very careful. It's like, it's like with all the stuff, talking about stuff, the undoing our heritage in America, you know, that's not what this is talking about, but there's certainly a, there is a certain level of rebellion and disrespect. Mm-hmm. When for no reason other than our own personal feelings, mm-hmm. we say, let's get rid of that. Let's get let's 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 put a let's put a shroud it. over all that we don't want to look at it anymore. There's there's some measure of disrespect. I agree with that. that. That was what I was gonna say is it's never that you're moving the boundary marker to give your neighbor more land. That's right. You're it's moving it to make, you're <laughs> moving it to make room for yourself. That's right. exactly That's right. When you have point. a fence line, it only goes one direction. It's either to make their, theirs bigger or yours bigger. Right. There's a story in the Talmud about that of where there's two farmers. Uh, one farmer has a family, the other farmer's a single man. And so late at night, the family man comes out and moves the marker towards him. So he's like, well, he's a single man. He obviously needs more land, so these single women look at him as being more valuable. <laughs> well, the single man does the same thing at night and moves it back the other way. And to, he's got more family. He needs more people to come out. And, you know, he needs more produce. So, they are. So they're, and, they're you're saying they're moving it to make their own stuff smaller? Yes. But, yes. Oh, yes. that's cool. And Good so juice. eventually, this this goes on back and forth for days, years. Mentions. And uh, so one day they meet at night, and uh, it it comes out to where God sees this and He says, "Look at the compassion." that is being given to these two men, I will put my Beit HaMikdash right there. That is supposedly where the temple is. That's wow. very cool. That's, that's, that's the story that. they have in the Talmud. That's, cool that's sweet. The, and the reason that's such a powerful story, too, is because we know the reason for the destruction of the temple. Yeah, it's it's baseless hatred. Yeah. Which is the exact opposite. That's yeah. right. That's so, right. yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's a good cool story. That's very good. Thanks for sharing. Any cool word he's going to tell me? I could find All right, that's your next step. That's really cool. You got a couple dozen uh, volumes to start scanning. Right, right, yeah. right. So um, since this uh, this whole Torah portion is about justice, as we saw in the beginning, one of the cool things that Rashi points out is the reason that this whole concept of an eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, why that's juxtaposed with the preparation of going out to war is the first the first thing that he says is well it, this is this is how we know that nobody that's that um, well so he actually ends up saying that uh, we have here um, so yeah I'm trying to remember uh, how, how he puts this because it was it was really neat it was basically like uh, if this shows um, Hold on one second. Let me let me make sure. Kind of having a little. It's really good. It's on the tip of your tongue. Yeah, it's on the. It's it, yeah. He goes through. It's in chapter twenty. One second. I really really like this. Oh, that um, that if you are just, 
in the way that you would have an eye for an eye, a foot for a foot, hand for a hand, this is like absolute justice, that, that is how you know that you can go out to war without True. fearing. That was what I was Very trying to remember. Um, that, that was so cool, you know, because he, it is, it's, a, it's actually one of the mitzvahs that is at the end here, like one of the mitzvot is that you do not have fear when you go out to war. That's actually like a, one of the 613. Right. Yeah. And it's like, wow, how could you, how could you like, have such a strong stance on that? And so Rashi says, well, it's because you know you're good to go because you, you've been just, Amen. just like you would be in, the, uh, in financial matters with the eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Yes, sir. Did you, uh, did you watch Rabbi David Foreman's thing? On this portion? No. So he, he talks about what's up with these, these four things? Ask a guy if he bought a house but hasn't had a chance to move in yet. Ask a guy if he's um, planted a vineyard but hadn't had a chance to pick the grapes and you know and, and have the have that. And then has has betrothed himself to a wife but hasn't had an opportunity to marry her yet. Well, and then, and then this fourth one about it, is there anybody who's, who's scared about what's about to happen? Yeah. So he's like, why these four, and which one of these four doesn't belong with the rest? It was obvious. The last one is like really weird. So he says, all right, well, let's, you're right. Let's take that one out for a second. Let's look at these three. Why is this important? And he says, this is exactly what God did. God built a home for his people. And he didn't, you know, he, he planted a garden, second thing, a vineyard, if you will, and then took his people as a bride. This is what God did, and this is the essence of life itself. This is life, that we would build a home, we would plant a vineyard or garden, and then we would take a wife and be a family and rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. Over and over, this, this, this is life, right? And he says, this is what we're supposed to do. So if this is what we're supposed to do, if this is what God did and we're to emulate him, we have his image in us. We're, we want to do the same thing. And if we can't do the same thing, shame on us. Why would we let life get in the way of true life? So if you're in the middle of doing that, then we're gonna let you out. Go, go, go do it. That's more important. Life trumps everything. So go for life. So he goes, oh, what's the last thing all about? What's, what's this last one here where if there's a man who is fearful or faint-hearted, let him go back home so he will not cause his brother's hearts to melt like his heart has melted. And it's different than these three. That's a different deal. And that deal is because fear is contagious. Mm -hmm. And we just can't start with that. Now, of course, the Gutnik finishes this. The last verse in 9 says, uh, Then when the officials finished speaking to the people, they, you know, the four categories have disappeared, they should appoint disciplinary officers for the troops at both ends of the people to ensure that nobody flees. Because if you weren't afraid starting and you get afraid during the battle, that's normal. Fight through it. Be a man. But you can't leave. You can't run away in the face of battle. The fleeing was because he has sinned. 
Yeah, I, I, in other words, I, there's I a love sense, that part. There's a sense that, okay, everybody else here is good, probably. But I'm a sinner. But I know this is not going to work out well for me because I know my heart. Right. And fearful because he has sinned. And knowing that we can all go into battle because we're good. We're good to go. Right? We're the righteous of God. That's right. We've done the right thing. And he's going, yeah, but not me. And that's, that's powerful. Mm -hmm. it, it is. is. It it's is. like, let that guy off. We don't want you with us. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You're going to convince everybody else they've sinned too. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good stuff. I mean, it was a great, it was a great deal. You know, well, he, he plays that game. It reminds me of when they went into the promised land the first time, the spies. Right. I mean, out of all of them, only two came back saying, "No, it's not that bad." You know, because they talked to each other. We and, you know, they were afraid. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're yeah. giants, but <laughs> yeah. But those those, but those ten, ten took the rest yeah. of the camp. Yeah. yeah. And Nope. Nope. Well, even in Gideon's time, he really, he really oh, those good who were afraid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was the first calling. And then, yeah. and then it was how they drink the water. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. guy put his handgun down to drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, big mistake. Big mistake. Yeah. Don't ever leave it. Don't ever leave your handgun down. Oh, I'm well, sorry. Maybe it was well, sword back then. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Not, like, Did anybody have anything else from uh, the portion so we can jump into the half tower real quick? Thank you for sharing from your food. Yeah, well, this was, it's great. It's, it's great. a good it. Nick. <laughs> you said Rashi was a commentator on that, or the Rambam, or who? There's, oh, no, it's, it's, a it's a compilation. The good yeah. Nick takes Rashi and Rambam and Ramban and others, yeah. even later, yeah. and There's, plugs them in parentheses. So it's not like you're reading word, I mean, it's like word for word from the Torah, but then in parentheses, they add the words. They, the words they add are always parenthetical, and it gives you the sense of the Hasidic understanding of the Holocaust. How they translate it? We're but joking about it being inspired. Yeah, there's little little gray boxes. This is okay. sparks no, I mean, of Hasidut. Something it's very good. It's a very good it's person. It's, it's, it's definitely yeah. take a look afterwards. Yeah. Very good. See what you like because that. You agree with I, did the, I did the stone. So stone's yeah. good too. Yeah. Stone's this good. is this is deeper than stone. The yeah. stone's very good. Because this will bring in the mystical stuff. Too with the targum. It, it, it kind of part of the yes, parenthetical the answers the targums and yeah. and uh, Rashi. So Actually, on the cover it says and targumim. Yes. Yeah. Ankalos anyway. is in there as well. You can get it in uh, five volumes this size. You can get it in like he has five volumes one. that size. Mm -hmm. And then there's one. Or you can get the shows. big chubby one that you see in the top shelf. This was a gift. The, I wasn't trying to do leather <laughs> <one>. <laughs> I had Showing to get up. you a larger one than, than mine so that you, I mean, you're more righteous than I am. It's not a travel version. He's trying to get you to stick around. That's yeah. right. That's, that's, that's right. true. That's yeah. on your desk. Well, we can't move now. The good thing is <laughs> 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 yeah. right, We're on page 282 <laughs> in the Gutnik. Oh. What page are you on? 108. Oh, you got the big one. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, oh, right. Unlike, like our school. Unlike our school. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, yeah, we're Isaiah 51, 12 through 52, 12. Uh, so, to, to kind of be the introduction here, because you know, obviously we're going through all of the, the Haftarot of Consolation. This is, uh, you know, between uh, Tisha B'Av all the way to um, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and it's interesting because I had never thought about how they are laid out. One of the uh, one of the commentator uh, the commentaries on Chabad is talking about how you know these aren't really necessarily in order. You know, the, it's, it hops around in Isaiah. All of them are from Isaiah, but they don't go in like chapter order. Uh, what is the reason 
for the order of these seven Haftarot of Consolation? And the answer to that is that they sort of, um, they, they, have a, they gradually build on each other to the, a, a certain level of <coughs> consolation. And the reason why, uh, it says uh, that they get greater and more intense levels of consolation. So Rashi says that the reason why that is, is that the way in which the comforter comforts is in a gradual fashion. One who consoles a destroyed person too much can be compared to telling a beggar, tomorrow you will be a king. This is what occurred in Egypt with Moshe when he came and told the Jews that redemption was imminent. The verse that states that they did not listen to Moses because of shortness of breath and hard work. I thought that was so cool. So it's basically like, we're not going to just tell you the, the, the pinnacle of consolation at first. We're going to walk through it gradually. And we're going to talk about these steps of consolation that Hashem goes through. And I thought that was a really neat way of sort of looking at where we stand. Because we're sort of in the middle. I think this is like the third one that we're, we're at right now. Or, or fourth one. Um, and, and so we, we just see like this level of, of comfort as compared to the last one. So I thought that was, that was really neat. Um, one, of the, one of the other things that the Gutnik goes through about this particular Haftar that I thought was so neat was this whole idea uh, of where it says, it is I, yes, I who comforts you, is, is the translation here. And that specific word that they use is anohi, uh, and it's an, it's an unusual term, uh, according to some of the other things, and it sort of goes back to the beginning of the Ten Commandments, uh, which is the entire basis of, of the law. Um, and then it kind of, the, the whole repetition of like, it is I, I, like I, it is I, uh, it, it talks about how that creates this theme of teshuva, because at the beginning of the Torah, the word anochi was said only once, and so it's repetition here hints to a superior level of teshuva. Um, so I thought that was cool too because obviously Elul is meant to be a, a month of teshuva. It's meant to, to deepen our, our faith with God and deepen our relationship with God, repent of anything as we build up to uh, Rosh Hashanah. One of the, the, the whole idea of the king is in the field. I, it's such a cool phrase to throw out, especially when you kind of understand that, that depth of that, like Mr. Upham kind of explained before. That is so neat to think about. He's he's approachable because he's in the fields. But there's also the sense that he's in the fields. That's not where we're at right now. He's coming, and so we got to get ready. Yeah. So there's like sort of a, a two two sides to that point. Yes. So, to your point, uh, and you know, to to lift up the the Gutnik. My grandmother used to do that all the time. Um, if you've got your Bibles open to Isaiah fifty one sixteen. Single verse Isaiah 51 16. Um, the reason why I own the Gutnik is because Rick Spurlock happened to have the Gutnik. My sister introduced me to the Gutnik. He had the Gutnik with him four or five, must have been almost six years ago, and we were reading the um, account in Genesis 49 where Jacob is blessing his sons, 49 and 50. And uh, he read out loud, without even realizing what he was doing, he read out loud the blessing to Joseph. Cool name, by the way. Uh, and my daughters were in the room. And they heard his version. And every jaw dropped. They're all leaning over going, wow, what version of the Bible is that? 
And so we've had it ever since. So verse 16 says, I have put my words of Torah into your mouth, and in the Torah's merit, I sheltered you with the shadow of my hand from the enemy, planting you in your land like the stars of the skies, and establishing you to be as widespread as the earth. All the nations will say to Zion, God is saying to you, you are my people. I mean, if you're reading that in, in a New American Standard or the English Standard Version, it just doesn't yeah, read no, like that. Nothing. And you're like, well, gosh, that's so cool. So, But you can also see that is what it means. So, in but most you have cases, to pause between yeah. sentences and <laughs> phrases and go, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that the first time you've heard this word? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I guess one, you can read it in a literal sense, but it's so much more yeah. when you have some, you know, rabbi yeah. or... And you have to do both. Yeah, understand yeah. and the neat part is to be able to say, okay, that stuff in the parentheses is not there. Right. That's where their right. understanding of what mm -hmm. it means is coming into play. And, of course, you still got the Hebrew there, so you can look at it and right. go... That's not what it says. I don't think I'm <laughs> And then you can dig, and that's a different story, right? That's but the point is to make you think. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Cool stuff. I, I think it is too. The, the commentary is also helpful too because one of the th I didn't even notice this because it's sort of uh, it, it's it's encoded or, or sort of um, inserted the, the, what what the Gutenberg commentary uh, quotes here as relating to the Haftarah and how it relates to that whole thing about Teshuvah that I just said. They it, it's that little verse where we're talking about the accidental murder and that whole concept in our Torah portion of, all right, here's the steps that you got to go to, you got to take the goat and it goes out in the back of the neck and the whole thing. And then there's like just sort of this like random phrase throughout that little paragraph that's just like, and you know, to atone for your people, Israel, you, you know, um, whom you have redeemed, oh God, or something like that. Like that's, that's the quote that they say. And it's so easy to just gloss over that, but the commentary specifically points out like there's a reason why that's where the portion ended. And it's because that's where this picks up. Is the, it's this whole that's concept right. of atonement and teshuva, yeah. and and how we should be looking at this with that lens. So that's so neat, you know. Because I had to like after I read that, I was like, was that in the portion? <laughs> to go back and it's like, oh, okay, that's like the quote that they they say whenever they they are basically washing their hands and all of that. But um, yeah, I thought that was really neat. Is it an ox that you struck oh, the back of the neck? Well, Sorry, did I say well, that's, that's what it's struck not. me odd is because in kosher slaughtering, it's always here, and it's the donkey that you hit. It's true. The and, did you, and did you notice that like two sentences later, it, it's like talking about the decapitated, okay, right, the decapitated mm -hmm. ox? So that does well, Wait a second. You just hit him in the back of the neck, right. but now you don't have a head on? Okay. How did that happen? You know, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. if you went that way, two by you surely can't eat this guy. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right, right. I mean, you can't even, this yeah, one of the bits of both is yeah. like you can't even till on that land right. or, or do anything mm -hmm. in that valley of where right. that ox is right. because of how special it is. So I remember okay. uh, three, four years ago, we were talking about how the sages argued over how do you measure? That's what you got to do, right? I mean, mm -hmm. here's a dead body. Mm -hmm. Here's Sam, head over there, feet over there. And there's a city over there, and there's a city over there, and there's a city over there. Hmm. Now we got to measure and see which bunch of elders has to come and do something. Right. So I know Rashi was one of them. It might have been Rambam or Ramban, the other. They're arguing over, well, where do you measure from? Oh, one saint says, well, you measure from his belly button, of course. 
because that's the middle of the guy. <laughs> and the other one was like, no, you measure from his nose. Well, if the cities are ways away, that's not a big deal. But if they're fairly close to one another, this could make a difference, you know? <laughs> and they're and they both had that's a cubit right there. That's it, right? <laughs> and and they're and they're both had great reasons for choosing each one. Yeah. That's the value of the Talmud. That's right. Now, if you got a measure from a body, dead body, to a city, yeah. you might want to read the Talmud on that one. But if not, it's okay. Yeah. But I I was fascinated by the whole argument because we know what we need to do, but the Talmud sure does help figure out how to do it. And the arguments on both sides, because it's not like the Talmud says, this is how you do it. The Talmud gives you both arguments. And you go figure out so which one do you agree. Mm -hmm. Legal yeah, it doesn't tell us how we're, if we're allowed to use math <laughs> or if we have to actually take out a piece of Right. Do you pace it off? Yes, may have existed, but it wasn't used. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. Well, um, so the, the only other thing I, I was going to kind of touch on was just how cool it was that the commentary and sort of this, this whole concept that we have here in our Haftarah relates so well to Flame Foundation's uh, pick of the apostolic scripture reading of John preparing the way of, of repentance of like really driving home this concept of repentance uh, because you sort of, one of the coolest things too and, and I think this leads to that how how important Teshuvah is is one of the things that I that surprised me as I was reading through this Haftarah was just how like how much empathy God sort of has as he reiterates all of the struggles and the hard things that they've had to deal with a lot of times it's him saying, those are going to be things that happen to you if you don't repent. But in this case, it's like, no, these are things that have already happened and, and how much they've grieved him. And then, of course, you just have this beautiful promise of the redemption coming Amen. where we see our master written all over this. Uh, you know, and, and it's so cool, too, that, that we, a lot of times, I think, if you know, in a Bible quiz or something like that, if they said, like, you know, whose feet is it that are the beautiful ones that are heralding the coming of, you would have said John, and that's, like, what our portion was uh, in the Apostolic Scriptures, so that's, that's just really neat how that all related together and fit in together, and it's a good, helpful reminder for us as we're still in Elul and uh, be pondering these things and going through, I've at one point, when we're done on, on Zadi class with, uh, with our going through the Apostolic Scriptures and that deep dive, a really neat book to go through that I, I picked up this year for Elul was Shirei Teshuvah, which is the Gates of Teshuvah. Yeah. And man, that has been Rosa. so cool. It's uh, Rabbeinu Yonah. So it's a woman. I don't, I don't know. No, Rabbeinu is no, our, our, our rabbi. rabbi. Not Rabbeinu yeah. yeah. Rabbeinu Yonah? Yeah, yeah. Is that like Jonah? Jonah? Yeah, I think it's like Jonah. Really? Maybe actually Jonah. Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any yeah. trees in the land? Yeah, yeah there it is. Go. But it's so it's it's basically because it's like a Musar book, you know. So yeah. it's written in a very very practical way. It sounds it, it reads very much like the Proverbs do, but it's all specifically about Teshuvah. Huh. And it's amazing how many random quotes he pulls throughout Scripture that like all proves these points of these levels of Teshuvah and the principles of each one and. 
it's been really, really neat because uh, I just I didn't realize just how rich that concept is. We throw that around a lot, don't we? Just yeah. saying like, well, of course, you just do teshuva for that. Oh, yeah, teshuva. And then it's like, well, if you applied the Jewish mindset to that, it's like, now what does that specifically mean? At what point have I accomplished teshuva? Are there different levels of teshuva? Like, what's the first step? You know, they always want to break it down into something tangible, yeah. something that they can actually do and then therefore teach. And this book does that in a really neat way. Rabbi Akiva, if you read there uh, earlier, says uh, if, if a man is concerned about dying for his sins and going to battle, and that's why he, he thinks he needs to be out, don't let him out. Because <laughs> if he's concerned about dying for his sins, he's already started Shuba. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And therefore, he doesn't have anything to worry about with regard to those sins. All bets are off on anything that happens in the future, but he's covered now because he would not be concerned about that unless he had already started down the path of Teshuvah. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Rabbi Akiva. Chose the wrong, uh, his first name was Joseph, by the way, and he was a convert. Um, <laughs> but he chose the wrong Messiah. I think I'm okay on that. Yep. That you haven't. Correct. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Right. You, you chose the right one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. Any other comments about Absolute Scripture? Nice. Haftar? I think you did wake a great job. You like that He's a good big fan. Close us out. Please. I would love to. Good Father, thank you so much for the privilege of studying your word and for the community we have where we can bounce ideas off each other and spur one another to good works. Father, we pray that during this month, while you're in the field, we would reach out, we would find you, and we would approach you and ask for, for your love to be upon us, that we would practice repentance and return. Father, I pray that uh, over the next uh, over the next week, you would bless us Bless everybody in our family and in our community. And Father, that you would uh, send your son soon. That we might see him, bless him, and be saved. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.